Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into the water, I'm back. Hello everyone, it is Christopher Chapman for the Going Postal Cast. This is Incarceration Episode 22. How the heck are all of you doing? Hope you've had a great week. Mine's been up and down, but that's the kind of thing that happens when you don't get enough sleep. Not complaining? It would take a lot more than a little bit of lack of sleep to get me down. The one thing that is getting me down is the fact that three of my kids are not with me this weekend. With all the snow days that had gone on this past week, which we got a ton of snow over the course of the last week, and the fact that school was going to be a half day on Thursday and then no school on Friday, so the teachers, even after having two snow days previously in the week, they just needed some time to go over their paperwork. So, being the awesome person I am, I offered, instead of my kids sitting around the house all day while I had to go to work, I offered to see if their mom would take them for the weekend, because it was her weekend. And, of course, she uh, accepted, so... One extra day without the kids this week, and I thought I was going to be like, okay, I can get some things done. Instead, it's like, oh, God, I miss my kids. But enough about my problems. Let's get into some positive things. And so the positive things, we're going to start right off the bat with the updates. The only thing I really have to update this week is the progress of the third Death Has Come book. The third book, the two books after the one you're listening to now. No title for it yet. I'm just calling it DHC3. Literally five minutes ago, I passed 20,000 words in the novel, and it is going very well. Taking care of some things from book two, which is called Homecoming. Just wrapping up some of the things that happened there. Kind of adding some of the twists that I haven't even actually written into the second book yet. But I know that I'm going to, so that's all set, and I've kind of tied up those loose ends and am moving on with the story from the third book. Going to try to have that book done by April 30th, although at the pace I'm currently going, I should have it done a lot sooner than that. And one more quick thing before we get into the story. One of the things that I've been asked basically since the beginning is what do I use? What are the tools I use for writing? Now, this question is mostly from people who are interested in writing themselves, so I thought I'd just point out quickly, before we get into the story here, that the main tool that I use is an app called Scrivener. I've used several different programs over the years for my writing. There was Nicest Writer, WordPerfect for Mac, Claris Works, which became Apple Works, Microsoft Word... None of them did exactly what I was hoping for or what I was looking for. And then along came a program called Z-Write. Z-Write was 
kind of a program that it was done up in real basic which is a uh, a coding language uh, basic coding language and essentially it created nonlinear writing where you could basically write chapters and kind of have all the chapters kind of enclosed in their own little column on the side and I thought that was so great but the person who created ZWrite was no longer doing it. He kind of gave up development of it. So for a brief while, I actually went into trying to write my own program and tried to learn the basic coding language and everything and was getting decent results. I had a few features figured out. Couldn't figure out how to save the bloody thing. And all of a sudden, I learned about Scrivener. And it was exactly what I was looking for. And for the price and for the fact that it had every feature I was basically looking for and then some, I jumped all over it. You get all the tools, the nonlinear writing, spell checking, ways of sorting ideas, ways of writing little notes, full screen editing. Basically, if there's a feature that you're looking for as a writer, it has it. And that's kind of like a free little plug for Scrivener because it it is essentially the greatest writing app. If you got a difference of opinion, you can argue with me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. All right, I've been yakking long enough. Let's get into the story. Here it is, episode 22 of Incarceration. Chapter 40 Jason tried desperately to get to his feet. Every piece of his body felt a hundred times heavier than it should have. Why was he on the floor anyway? His eyes scanned the room. He saw a fire at the back of the cell and the old man throwing things onto it. Was the old man's name Matt? He believed it was. Jason tried to remember what happened, but found that the memory was locked behind a door that he didn't have the key for. His head hurt like it never had before. No, that wasn't right. He had felt like this before. It wasn't all that long ago either. Hadn't he had a concussion, or something like it, not that long ago? Maybe as early as this morning? He believed he had. Had he hit his head again? Matt had gone to the cell door. Something had captured his attention. Jason got his hands underneath him and started working himself to his feet. He couldn't believe how much everything hurt. When I get done with this, I'm taking a vacation, he thought. What exactly was this anyway? He felt as if there was something important he needed to remember. He searched his mind, but kept coming up with hazy memories that didn't seem to make any sense to him. He remembered Matt talking to him about the existence of vampires and that Rick might be dead. He wasn't sure about anything before, after, or in between those events. Now in the seated position, Jason watched as Matt moved closer to the cell door. He held a wooden stake in each of his hands, one dripping with bloody goo. A little girl, no older than ten, stood on the outside of the door. She had black hair and a pretty face. Well, all except for those large teeth that protruded from her mouth. Laura, Matt asked, sounding extremely compassionate. Matt knew her. Jason tried to think of who she could be. Could it be his daughter? His mind kept telling him that Matt had a daughter that had been killed by vampires. Jason stood and stumbled towards Matt. He stood about two feet behind him. He didn't think that Matt was aware that he was back there. 
He seemed to be completely engrossed in talking with this little girl. Yes, Daddy, the little girl said in a voice that wasn't quite human. It seemed tinny, as if it had been smoking from the inside of an old soup can. Oh, my sweet angel, Matt said, dropping to one knee. Their faces were closer together now. Oh, I'm so sorry about what happened. I'm so sorry. You will be joining us soon, his daughter said. Death is coming for you. Will you embrace it, the way I have? What? Matt couldn't speak, not completely. Is this how you want to be? What about the dreams? Weren't you telling me that you wanted to be freed? The daughter's head angled to the right. She gave him a look of curiosity. Was that it? Yeah, he believed it was. She gave him a curious expression, as if she were trying to process the question. Death is coming, the daughter repeated. I suggest that you embrace it. Otherwise, I cannot guarantee what will happen. Oh, baby, Matt said. He was crying. I can't believe I've been wrong all these years. This, everything I've done, has been to free you. Jason watched closely and noticed something. He wasn't exactly sure that he had seen it, but there it was nonetheless. Even with his brain in unbelievable pain and the entire world coming to him through a murky haze, he was positive that he'd seen a single tear escape Laura's left eye, rolling down her cheek towards her chin. Daddy, Laura called out, sounding more human than at any point previously. She moved forward, looking like a girl that wanted nothing more than to give her father a hug. Matt was about to do the same. He crept forward, extending his hands out the cell door. Don't, Jason said. It was the only word he could get out before the headache hit him like a brick. He put a hand on each side of his head, as if he were trying to keep his brains from escaping through his ears. Matt pulled his hands back, and Laura stopped dead in her tracks about a foot away from the cell door. Her eyes moved to Jason, as if she was seeing him for the first time. She didn't look upset, but it appeared as though the brief glimpse of humanity he'd seen had vanished. She took a step back, moving away from her father. Matt bowed his head. He had obviously thought that he was going to get to hold his daughter. Jason had no problem with that, other than the fact that she was a vampire and likely would have ripped his throat out with her large teeth. A large dark shadow appeared behind Laura, moving forward slowly. Jason watched as a shadowy figure appeared in the light of the fire. The vampire was large, well over six feet tall. For a brief moment, Jason believed that it was his father. No. This guy was too big to be his father. His hope died down. Matt lunged to his feet, slamming himself against the cell door. You fucker, he shouted, slamming his fists against the steel bars of the cell door. I am going to kill you. I won't even bother sticking the stake in your heart. I'm going to keep shoving it up your ass until it comes out your fucking mouth. Do you hear me? You think that you can kill my daughter and keep on living? I will kill you. Jason was astonished by Matt's outburst of emotion most of which was anger. His eyes moved to the large man standing at the outside of the cell. It was the first time he'd gotten a glimpse at the face of this monstrosity. What he saw startled him. The face, the body, the mustache. He recognized this man. No, it wasn't his father, but he knew who this man was. He looked exactly the same as he had on the day he died, the only exception being that he was missing his left eye. An empty socket stood where an eye should have been. His brain ached as his mind searched for the right name. 
He knew this man like he should have known his own name. Suddenly, it became as clear as a bell to him. Brian Normand? Jason asked. The large man turned and looked at him. A small smile spread on the man's face. It was as if he'd just seen Jason for the first time. Jason Wrangle, Brian said in an inhuman voice, nearly laughing. Well, well. Somebody here said that you might be here. It'll be like killing two birds with one stone. I am going to kill you, Matt shouted. His voice was deeper than normal, as if he was trying to convey his anger. I'm going to stick the stake in your fucking heart. Come close enough so I can finish this. Brian looked back at Matt for a second. That smile of his grew in size and intensity. He laughed, as if there was some inside joke that only he was in on. He turned and faced Matt's daughter. He extended a hand and finger, pointing. Go, Brian said in a commanding voice. Matt's daughter bowed her head and walked away, disappearing into the darkness. Laura, Matt screamed, moving dangerously close to the bars. Laura, come back. I can free you. Matt took a step back. He was in tears and dangerously close to losing it. Brian lunged forward, slamming against the bars as soon as Matt had backed away. The bars bent inward, looking like half-moons. How strong was Brian? The other two had worked together and couldn't break the belts. Brian was bending steel. Brian grabbed a bar with each of his massive hands. He pulled them outward, bending the bars as if they were made out of toilet paper rather than steel. He created a hole large enough that he could slide in if he turned sideways, which was his plan all along. He turned sideways and slid between the bent bars, entering the prison cell with the inmates. Jason saw that Brian had no interest in him. He was completely focused on Matt. Matt looked at Jason and spoke in a calm voice. Whatever happens, you make sure you get the hell out of here. Jason understood, but there was no way he was going to allow Matt to fight this behemoth all by himself. He bent down and lifted the stake he dropped, holding it in a defensive position. He was ready for Brian if he saw an opportunity. Matt lunged forward, swinging both stakes towards Brian. Brian lifted his arm, easily batting away Matt's attack. Brian moved forward, much more quickly than any man of his size should. He tried to grab hold of Matt with those large hands, but Matt ducked out of the way, thrusting forward with another stake. Brian dodged that, moving his chest away from the thrust. Jason watched everything as if it were happening in slow motion. He was in awe of the movement as they attempted attack after attack on the other. Matt would lunge with a stake, only for Brian to dodge. Brian would use those hands and teeth, but Matt seemed to know every move he was going to make. For a man over 50, Matt was amazingly quick and agile. Jason could only hope to be half as agile when he reached that age. Jason's breath caught in his throat when Brian moved forward with his big hands, trying to punch. Matt had anticipated that blow, moving his head out of the way and ducking underneath the attempt while moving upward with the stake. Brian's next attack was already on the way, and Jason thought that Matt wasn't prepared for it. He was wrong. Throughout the altercation, Brian had avoided using his teeth. Jason found that this was all a ruse to lull Matt into believing that he wasn't going to use them. Brian's mouth was larger than any other that Jason had ever seen before in his life. The teeth could only be described as possibly belonging to a dinosaur like Tyrannosaurus. His mouth opened wide enough that Jason believed that he could fit the entire jaw over Matt's head, decapitating him with one powerful bite. 
That didn't happen. Matt saw the move coming, sticking the stake upwards and catching Brian under the chin. Brian screamed in a combination of pain and anger as the stake pierced through underneath his chin. Black goo came out from the wound, drizzling down the stake. Matt pulled the stake free and tossed it to the ground as if it were on fire. He backed away, his eyes as large as silver dollars. Brian moved forward, his hand moving up to cover the wound. Jason watched in disbelief as the hole sealed itself. Brian's hand rested there for no more than two seconds before he removed it, showing a new scar that looked as if it were months old rather than seconds. More of the black goo dribbled from between Brian's massive razor-sharp teeth. What's the matter, old man? Brian asked. Getting too old for this? Oh, how your daughter was grateful when I took her away from you. She blames you for the death of her mother. You lie! Matt shouted loud enough for Jason to feel the rattle in his chest. Matt lunged forward with the remaining stake held firmly in his hand. He moved to the right, getting Brian to turn. Jason realized something then that left him in awe of Matt. In all of his anger, he still had enough sense to come up with a plan. He was turning the large man on purpose, allowing Jason the opportunity to have a better shot at him. Jason moved forward as best as he could. Every breath, every step, felt as if he were trying to walk on the bottom of a pool. He felt like there was resistance against every move he made, trying to keep him back. He lifted his right arm. He groaned, the stake feeling as if it weighed 50 pounds or more. He strained as he picked his spot. He closed his eyes and plunged the stake into Brian Norman's back. Something struck Jason in the chest, sending him through the air backwards. He landed on the floor. He picked his head up, putting his chin to his chest in an effort to avoid hitting his head again. He opened his eyes, realizing that the light around him was getting brighter and that it was getting warmer. Realizing that he was still moving, Jason slammed his elbows and heels down onto the floor, trying to slow his progress. He came to a stop and felt the heat of the fire just inches away from his head. Feeling the power of adrenaline flowing through his veins, he pushed himself to his feet and stepped away from the fire. He stopped when he saw Matt in a similar position, his head against the wall. Brian was spinning in a circle, trying to reach behind him to pull the stake out of his back. In any other circumstance, Jason would have found this to be comical. Somehow he didn't see the humor in what he was seeing at the moment, especially when he didn't know if Matt was okay or not. Jason moved towards Matt, intending on checking the condition of the older man. He never made it. Brian stopped circling, focusing on Jason instead. Jason saw what was coming and backed up a step. Brian let out a growl, sounding like a wild animal. This is it. This is how it all ends. Anger filled him. He didn't want to die this way. He'd always thought that he would end it on his own terms. Death by a vampire was not his own terms. Matt had other stakes, but he didn't dare bend down to get them. If he did, he surely would be dead before he could stand up straight again. Brian moved close, walking slowly. He appeared to be in pain, grimacing as he took every step. Jason searched for a way around him, but knew that there was no way. The guy was too big. When Brian spread his arms out, he could reach each side of the room just by leaning one way or the other. The guy was mammoth. Jason suddenly felt a surge of strength come through his body despite his aching head. His concussion seemed to vanish as clear thoughts returned to his mind. He was prepared for this. He was ready for this to end. 
All the years that had gone by since the death of his parents had been hell. The nightmare before him was no better. If he died, none of that would matter. He wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. He would be one of them. That wasn't exactly what he wanted, but at least he wouldn't have to suffer the way he had for the last 16 years. Jason Rangel would no longer exist. He wouldn't have to care any longer. Come and get me, you big bastard, Jason shouted. As Brian accepted his challenge, moving forward more quickly, he saw other movement out of the corner of his eye. Matt was moving. Actually, it wasn't so much moving as it was full-on attack. Matt jumped up from his sitting position and charged Brian from behind. Brian heard him coming, turning just in time to take a stake to the chest. Get back, Matt said as he ran towards Jason, pulling him away from Brian. Brian Norman, a man who lived just a few doors down from him for the first 17 years of Jason's life, started to smoke and erupted into reddish flames. He disintegrated in much the same way the other vampires had, quickly becoming no more than a pile of ash and clothing. Within a minute, it was over. Both Jason and Matt moved to the pile of ashes. Matt looked down, a look of relief spreading across his face. He's the one that killed Laura, you know, Matt said. It was a statement, not a question. Your daughter? Yep, Matt said. His voice didn't show the excitement Jason would have expected from the man that had just killed his daughter's murderer. Jason didn't know what it was like to be a parent but he believed that he would be doing a celebratory dance if he'd been in the same situation. He knew that he very well might dance once he finished his parents' killer, if he got the chance. He was my neighbor, Jason said. No shit, Matt said, then retrieved one of the stakes on the ground. Jason saw the stake with the black goo on it just a few feet away. He didn't know how long they had before more vampires came. He could hear them throughout the building spreading like a mold, but there weren't any near them yet. He knew it was just a matter of time before they came to kill them. As he bent down to grab the stake, Jason was hit from the blind side. He fell to the floor, landing hard, but avoiding hitting his head because Matt's hands were underneath, acting as a pillow. When he looked to his right, he saw that Matt was on top of him. He'd been tackled as if he were a running back in a football game. It hurt like hell. Don't ever touch a stake that has that black shit on it. Do you understand? Matt scorned, sounding like Jason's father before he died. He was pointing towards the stake with an outstretched hand. Why not? Jason asked. We need as many of those stakes as we can get. We're going to have to make do with what we have, Matt said, looking towards the door. Jason looked as well, seeing that they were still alone. Matt helped him to his feet. Remember me telling you about how vampires that have killed a lot seem to take on supernatural abilities? Yeah, Jason said, having remembered something on the subject. He remembered that it was one of the things that had made him a disbeliever in the first place. That black shit is one of those things, Matt said. I've killed many vampires, and only a handful have had that black shit oozing out of them. It's a defense mechanism for some of the more powerful vampires. If you get some of that shit on your hands, your feet, hell, even breathe any of it in, you're a dead man. It'll work on your brain as if they'd already bitten you. It'll get in your system any way it can. Pores, nose, ears, it doesn't really matter. If you see any of that black shit coming out of a vampire, you be extremely careful. 
Do you understand me? This is more important than anything else I've told you so far. This is life and death important. I saw goo come out of some of the others, Jason pointed out. Did it try to engulf the stake the way this goo did? Matt asked. Jason knew that the answer was no. Then don't worry about it. Besides, you'll learn the difference real quick. The color is the first thing. This stuff is much darker and it seems to have a mind of its own. How can you possibly know all this? You're not the first guy that I've worked with, Matt admitted, not looking towards him. I had another partner about eight years ago. He got some of that shit on him. A little dab was all it took. The change didn't happen right away. It took a few weeks. He tried to kill me. I hadn't even noticed the slow transformation. Matt bowed his head. They can get you in so many ways. I'll bet you that I haven't even come close to uncovering all of the ways they can convert you. Jason processed the information as well as his ravaged brain could manage. It hadn't been very long since he'd known about the existence of vampires and had suffered head trauma two times in about the same amount of time. His head was swimming with information, yet his brain was too sore to do anything with it. They're like some kind of slow-moving disease, Matt continued. I don't know why they chose here, but they have. Maybe they like the lower populated areas so they have hiding spots in the trees. I don't really know why, but they're getting stronger. And there are many more of them than when I first learned of them. By my estimation, there are now nearly 2,000 of them in existence. And I'll bet that a quarter of them are in the building with us right now, and that they're many of the stronger ones. How do we get out? Jason asked. I wish I knew the answer to that. There you go. Another exciting episode of Incarceration. That was chapter 40 from the novel. There are only eight more chapters to go, which tells you that we're getting really close to the end. We have a few more weeks to go before we're completely out of material, but we're going to have some other stuff besides that. We're going to talk about incarceration as a whole. There's going to be some additional episodes. So it's not like we're just going to be done with the book anytime soon. And I might also have a short story to throw at you as well. Daddy's Little Girl is still a little ways away from being ready for audio, so there might be a few gaps in there, but I'll try to make sure that we have as much entertainment as possible for you. Okay, it is shameless self-promotion time. I'm going to try to get through this very quickly. Incarceration is on sale. The ebook, in whatever format you want, is on sale exclusively at goingpostalpublishing.com. Just click on the little star banner that you'll see right there on the home page, or you can go to the store link and you can buy it on there. The ebook will be emailed to you shortly upon purchase. That only runs until the 28th of February, and then it goes back to its normal price. If you want to email me, I already gave out the email address earlier. For questions, comments, or cheap shots, sometimes all three, Going Postal Publishing at gmail.com. The Twitter handle is Going Postal Pub, and you can like me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Going Postal Publishing. Have yourselves a great week. I will see you next time. Take care now. Bye bye then. 
You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 